0: Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters.
1: Welcome back. Our guest today is Kelly Inselman. She is a psychotherapist and a kundalina yoga therapist here in Austin, Texas. And for those of you whose name it sounds familiar, we had her on a show around episode 52 speaking about yoga and mindfulness and integrating that into our everyday life. It's a great episode. If you haven't heard it, check it out. Today, we're going to take a different slant on this. She is the founder of Cutting Edge Yoga and Talk Treatment, and she focuses here today to talk about how yoga and mindfulness can directly impact cancer survivors and working with cancer survivors in their recovery emotionally and really to try to reclaim their vitality. And this episode, whether is really relevant, relevant for those that are actually suffering with a trauma, those of cancer, those who support them, and really for anyone who would like support dealing with stress and trauma in their body. And given the neuroscience back support for the effects of yoga mindfulness on our health and our healing, and the pervasiveness of cancer throughout our our uh, community, we're just so grateful to have Kelly here today to walk us through this very, very, very important topic. Now, side note, as a bonus, as we did before, Kelly was so kind. She walked us through and does a Kundalini uh, yoga practice with us, and it's a standalone. You won't hear any of our voices, completely standalone, and it's going to be a separate bonus episode. So either listen to it just once to get an idea of what she's speaking about, or You could go to it over and over again if you'd like to kind of utilize it in your life. So we hope you do. All right. Well, Kelly, I'm
0: so grateful to have you here. Tell us about your work. Thanks, Anne. Yes. One of the questions that I like to ask myself is one that Bessel van der Kolk, who's one of the big trauma researchers these days out of Boston, posed. And that is, how can we activate the body to heal the mind? And in my experience, using yoga and meditation is a beautiful intervention with people that have really become alienated from their bodies Mm -hmm. through a traumatic experience, either in their regular life or through having an illness like cancer. And so it's just a delight to me to be able to bring the body awareness and movement and access to meditation into my clinical practice.
1: And for the listeners that didn't yet hear the original podcast, uh, just to sum up a little bit of what we encourage, not only the idea of attending a yoga class where the type of yoga integrates mindfulness and body awareness, Kelly brought to us the idea of integrating into your daily practice only about 20 minutes is also very, very effective. And so as we're talking about that, just remember from your own experience that this can be something that is done on a, on a daily, daily basis.
0: Yes. And it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. It could be five. In some ways it matters less how long the daily practices and more, uh, focus on the consistency and trying to bring it into your life in a regular way. And one of the things that's
1: different, I know we've talked a lot about meditation and mindfulness on this podcast, but again, if you didn't listen to the first one, we're really talking about, we have ta- did a lot of talk about the importance and the integration of movement and the effect of combining movement and that it has a significant different effect overall.
0: Yes. One thing about trauma is that it doesn't happen just to your mind. It also happens to your body. Oh, yeah! And so then people can end up feeling alienated from their body, like I said, or dissociating certain parts of their bodies. And so yoga is, first of all, if it's a trauma sensitive yoga, you're really bringing a desire to help people feel safe in their bodies to repair the emotional and the physical injuries in a way that they can learn to be with themselves in their bodies and feel safe and cared for. And the other piece that we want people to feel in a yoga class for trauma survivors is that they can come into the here and now because in trauma, you're basically in a repetitive cycle of always thinking about and actually re-experiencing the difficult situation that happened. And it can be very hard to come into the present moment and realize I'm safe now. I'm with people who care about me now because you're always suspicious. looking Kind of
1: on the, the hyper-vigilant from, from yes. the trauma being kind of on, in an
0: alarm state or hyper-vigilant Right. And so by using the movement of the yoga, using learning to tolerate your sensations in Mm. a safe class, it builds the capacity of people to be okay with whatever's happening in their body. It doesn't mean that the trauma experience is completely eliminated, especially not quickly, but it grows the capacity to tolerate what you're feeling. So that then you can talk about it, you can get support, you can take effective action and change your situation in the moment. Like maybe you need a blanket or maybe you need to sit up on a cushion while you're doing your practice or in your regular life, maybe you need to ask for help or make a shift in a way that's healthier and more positive. And so the yoga gives you some practice at observing your thoughts and feelings, feeling safe and grounded and then being able to take more effective action both in the class and in your regular life.
1: Wow, I can really see how much that could significantly impact somebody's ability to respond to therapy and respond to, just interact with the world, with their ability to really connect with their body in a way that feels safer.
0: Yes, yes. And for some people doing a yoga practice For some, it's their very first experience Mm -hmm. of feeling safe and calm in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And then for others, it's helping them to remember, particularly, for example, if you're a cancer survivor and maybe you've gone through a bunch of treatment and you have started to feel like, you know, there's an enemy inside of me and you're trying to fight all the time and you're experiencing a lot of pain Mm
1: -hmm. in the
0: body from side effects or from the cancer itself. Having a space where you're doing movements that have some pleasure to them that feel mm-hmm. good as you stretch or as you create a gentle rhythm in your body that begins to remind you of other times when you have felt some pleasure in your body mm-hmm. and have felt that things are okay in your life and in the world, that sense of well being. And so then remembering those past experiences get linked up with your present. So you're still feeling your pain. You still maybe notice it, but you're also remembering when you felt better and more vitality. And you're able to bring those together in the moment.
1: That's so powerful because it's so often a trauma response is feeling like that something could just take you over and you don't expect it. And so being able to just to have a power of association could come over you and create a sense of trauma in your body. And I'm thinking about somebody having been able to practice yoga as you're describing, especially with a group over and over again, to have that confidence that if that does happen, that they can soothe themselves, that they have a resource right there. Yes. It's kind of like in their back pocket to pull out kinda of helps
0: them walk around like having a sort of a protective blanket, if you will. Yes. It's having some tools and it's not just a mental tool, it's actually a felt Phys- experience yeah. that is very deep and sticks with people throughout the week. Well and as we mentioned in
1: the other podcast, it is it's a can deeply just immediately have an effect on your neurotransmitters in terms of helping to produce GABA that could decrease your anxiety in that moment rather than just being subject to the trauma thought you're actually able to produce a calming effect physiologically in your body.
0: Yes. Right. It's wonderful. I hear from people quite a bit that the mental mantras and the affirmations that we use in our yoga classes are tools that they can bring with them. Mm-hmm. So and it, but it's not just a mental tool of thinking positive. It's one that they've experienced simultaneous with feeling a real sense of well-being in their bodies. So for example, we use a mantra, Nam" quite a bit in kundalini yoga. That means truth is my identity. I identify with my true self. And so we might be using that mantra as we're doing our movements in the class. Maybe mm-hmm. we're using it in a mental way as we're lifting our arms, we're thinking to ourselves, Mm Sat Nam, Sat Nam. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is it interrupts all of the other things we're thinking about, like comparing ourselves with others or feeling pain Mm -hmm. and focusing on a really positive, uplifting thought, which is that I'm in touch with my true self. Mm -hmm. And often I'll I'll tell the group, you know, the true self has nothing to do with your to-do list. It has nothing to do with what's happened to your body, even. It's what you are born with. It's what's present with you throughout your entire life. It's your witness self. It's your own true self that's linked to the infinite. And the infinite, however you imagine that to be, it doesn't have to be any certain way. But that's an experience that people with their sense of well-being in their bodies are able to link to the mantra Sat and then remind themselves when they're in stressful situations, oh, Sat Nam, I can speak my truth. I can tell people what I'm really feeling. I'm not responsible for everybody. These are the different ways that people translate Sat Nam in their regular lives. Wow, that sounds really powerful. Are there any other examples of mantras that people carry with them? I think people think? use the satanama meditation, the kirtan kriya that I think you're going to have online with the podcast. Uh-huh. And the meaning of that mantra is recognizing the cycle of life, that there is a birth, a death, and a rebirth to basically every cell in the body and mm. to every person. And you know na- it's all through nature. And so a lot of times people will tell me that they use that mantra as well.
1: They think oh, I themselves. could imagine what a beautiful mantra with as cancer survivor, the re, rebirth of cells and to be able to, while going through treatment, to have a mantra that is really concentrating on bringing health to yes. the body.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. There's another mm-hmm. mantra that we use. It's "ung Sung Waheguru. And the meaning of it, people love this one, is God is in every cell, mm-hmm. or you might think of it as life is in every cell. And I like to think of it as infinite possibility in every cell. And so people like to chant that and to really visualize their bodies full of life and love and connection to the infinite as they're going through their healing process.
1: Well, say a little bit more. And and Kelly, I know that, you are open on in your work that you're a cancer survivor. And that's one reason that it's become a passion for you in trying to help others because you really have shared with me the amazing effect that yoga has
0: had in your own healing process. Would you be open to saying a little bit about that? Sure, I'd love to. About 10 years ago, and I was already a yoga teacher integrating yoga with my therapy process when this happened. But 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And at that time, I had a two-month-old baby, my one and only daughter. Wow. And it really was an unbelievably difficult traumatic situation for me, even though I had a lot of support and I had good access to medical care.
1: I can only imagine just how exquisitely aware in having a two-month-old on your own, you are the need for you to be there. And, yes. Uh, and then to hear that you have a stage three breast cancer. Wow. Yes.
0: yes. Yeah. To have the juxtaposition yeah. of new life and wanting to, you know, be joyful with my daughter uh, and then really being afraid that I wasn't going to make it, it was very difficult. And then also, you know, you would think that being a psychotherapist and a yoga teacher I had people say, oh, you're just going to breeze through treatment, and that was not the case at all for me. If anything, I was probably more paranoid, more hypersensitive to every bit of the experience of chemo. I went through all the Western medical treatments that were recommended in part because I had this baby, and I was not going to take any chances. And so it was a very difficult experience, and it took me a long time to recover much longer than I wanted. Um. And I had all kinds of side effects, including lymphedema and osteoporosis. And I had a rib that cracked right as I was recovering physically. And I still had this baby, mm. my beautiful daughter. And I felt like a not a good mother. My whole life was shattered, basically. Wow. I also had really bad chemo brain, which mm. is a psychotherapist, when you like to remember details about people and be able to track what's happening with others. I just couldn't do that.
1: Oh, I can't even imagine.
0: And that was very difficult. Yeah.
1: And imagine listeners out there going through it or having family members go through it, how much they could appreciate you being open and talking about how difficult it is. It was It's not about keeping a stiff upper lip. It's about really being true to yourself about the process.
0: Yes. And you know, there's so much in our culture that encourages cancer patients and survivors to be super positive and to be super grateful mm-hmm. and to really disown the rest of the feelings that come along with the experience, like anger and grief and fear Mm -hmm. that the terror of recurrence oh imagine loss and yeah Mm -hmm. and then the way that it affects your body and your body image and dealing Mm -hmm. with pain there's there's so much that's difficult and my experience is that there was not a lot of safe spaces to uh, really heal and be able to talk about the the more difficult emotions. People can, love hearing about your gratitude.
1: They love hearing <laughs> that you're doing well. And I know yes. in, in being with family members is it's also very difficult when they you end up I imagine holding other people's feelings because every time they see you they're responding to their own feelings about what you're going through. Yes. And what they hope to hear from you that you're doing well and you're doing good right. and yeah.
0: Right. I remember when I was first diagnosed being at MD Anderson where I got my treatment and seeing my husband way across the waiting room and feeling just horrible, but knowing that he needed me to smile and be positive. And so I put on a big smile and I waved at him and he waved back and I just remember feeling like that was the opposite of what I was feeling. I was doing that just for him. Uh. And then later he came up and he said, oh, you don't know what it meant to me when you smiled and waved. And I was like, yeah, to myself, I was thinking, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> oh. I did that for him. But those are the ways I think that we separate. And and that was you know, that was not a bad thing to do, but it sticks with me because it was such a dissonance. It was so different from what I was actually feeling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And I think that happens day after day for cancer survivors is that we're aware of what other people need, especially, I guess I would say, especially women, but probably everybody's aware of trying to comfort others and not have them get into their own fear. Well, and that's what inspired you to
1: do this yoga practice with cancer survivors, a way of helping people really be more
0: true to what's happening in their body.
1: Tell us a little bit about
0: that. You know, I came upon a set of exercises in my tradition of kundalini yoga that were really good for strengthening the lymphatic system and the nervous system and dealing with my lymphedema of the arm and at the same time getting my yoga practice in. And so I started doing this set of exercise and I did it every day for years And as I began to heal more, I wanted to share the set because I thought it was really helpful for people. And so I started doing a free weekly class, and now it's been seven years that I'm doing this Wednesday class, and we have a very large group of people that drop in depending on how they're feeling. And so we usually have at least 15 people a week, not always the same people. And it's just a wonderful community that's developed and very supportive. And what I really love about it is that it's focused on creating a sense, a feeling of well-being in their bodies every week. So it's not about sharing all of the medical pieces. Mm -hmm. It's about what are you feeling? What are you needing? Often I'll self-disclose, you know, I've had a crummy day and giving people permission to share a little bit about what their days have been like the hard stuff, the stuff Yeah. Like they can stuff. be real. And hmm. yes, that nobody wants to hear, but mm-hmm. as survivors, we're able to hear it. And I love being with them. I feel like I like being with people who are in a state of development and awakening mm-hmm. and cancer is an encounter with awakening. It brings you into the present moment, just Mm -hmm. the way all of my years of meditation, I was attempting to be in the present moment, but cancer and dealing with that really brings you into the here and now. And so I really like being reminded of that, even though it's been years now since I was in active treatment and I feel inspired by the people who are coming. Sometimes they're coming for the first time. Some of them have stage four cancer and this is their first yoga class. And so what an honor and blessing to me to be able to share practices that help them feel good in their body right now, today. Oh, and they need that so much that the moment
1: of being, I can imagine just the awareness of everything being so real and so valuable and, and precious
0: Yes. Yes. I think there's a real dilemma with cancer survivors that on the one hand, you want to maximize every moment and get a lot of things done and really live your life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you want to slow down and smell the roses and really appreciate the moment. And sometimes those can be at odds. Mm -hmm. And I think that the yoga and meditation practices, which help you really be in the here and now, but be open to possibility about what more you can invite into your life, mm-hmm. it has a very soothing and integrating effect for people. I oh, imagine.
1: So what is the practice like? What do you recommend for those individuals out there listening who are experiencing this themselves or with family members and they don't have access necessarily to this wonderful, amazing group that you have. Well, one, I guess, one effect right now that I hope that this podcast could have is that therapists out there listening might be invited or encouraged to replicate what you're doing.
0: Yes, I would love that. You know, I think a lot of the yoga practices can be modified for Mm -hmm. people that are dealing with trauma or with cancer. And so it could be looking for a beginner gentle yoga class, and just giving yourself permission to modify the heck out of it, which is what I still do. If I go to a regular yoga class, I'm modifying, I'm sitting down through pieces of it. And you have to really be kind of fearless about doing that and not worried about what other people are thinking. And particularly when you're a cancer patient, you have all the excuse in the world to go at your own pace. I also have on my website many very short videos and yoga practices that people can join my website and subscribe, and they get for free access to over 50 five minute yoga or meditation practices.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Why don't you mention your
0: website? Yes, it's joybootsforcancersurvivors.com or kellyinsulman.com both of those. And we will have
1: that in the show notes, but just for those of you that are out there that kind of want to write that down because it, to have immediate access to a resource that's really specific for what you're going through.
0: Yes. And my focus is the emotional recovery. There's a lot of interest in helping people, obviously physically recover from cancer, but I found that there's a real lack of support for people who are trying to emotionally recover. There's the expectation that once you're finished with treatment, then you should just fit yourself back into your old life. That's what everybody wants you to do. And that's so interesting because I think my
1: experience in being with people is that it's actually an interesting, almost counter effect that people talk about. And that is after treatment stops that a depression come times really, yes. really, really hits. And it's, it's a, like you're not actively doing something. Yeah. And that stopping process, is, And I don't know if that is your
0: experience and all your extensive experience of working with cancer survivor. Do you see that? Happen? Absolutely. One theory I have is that it takes so much to get through each day while you're going through treatment. And so people end up numbing out, And they're in shock also. So while they're in shock, they begin their treatments and they have all these difficult treatments on their bodies. And and you're doing all kinds of counterintuitive things that feel like the opposite of what's healthy for you, like the surgeries and chemo and radiation, all of that kind of thing. And so, you know, maybe after six months or a year of treatment, when you're just finishing active treatments, that's when you're beginning to thaw out. Mm-hmm. And you're beginning to access your feelings again, but that's also when everybody is kind of dropping you because everyone's moving on. They've been there, they've been bringing you dinner,
1: they've been yes. saying, and now you're possibly back to work or at least off treatment and everybody's going to going back. and I hear what you're saying. and then also it's like like you mentioned with trauma responses like now you're not in a sympathetic response where you're actively doing something, you're more in a slowing down process and that right that. All those emotions I can imagine just rush in, and yes,
0: or you continue feeling pretty numb. Ah, okay. And i I had both of those. Did you? <laughs> I felt numb quite a bit. I would worry, even with my daughter. You know, I'm not feeling anything. You ah. know, and that. Really so you mean not
1: just numb about your own body, but just numb to the world a little bit. Yes, not feeling the joy with your daughter that you would think you might feel. Or, right
0: wow, that would be so hard. Oh, it was very hard and very scary. And with all I know about attachment, you know, very scary. And so, but it really motivated me to find safe places to heal Oh, and to talk about the feelings and to really express the anger. Mm -hmm. Because what I found is that that emotion for myself and for many clients, that emotional numbing has a lot to do with not being able to express your anger. Mm-hmm. and just holding it in and so often with clients they don't want to feel angry and they sure don't want anybody to know that they're angry particularly if that if they're at the end of active treatment or they're in remission you know to, to dare to be angry when you should be so glad that uh. you are still alive so it's a real bind for people a lot of times I and can imagine and has them numbed out and the other thing that happens towards the end of treatment is that you start to become aware of what side effects you're going to be living with often that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And so for people, you know, who are living with constant reminder of what they went through and physical limitations, you know, coming to terms with that is devastating imagine. and really can cause depression as well.
1: Yeah, just a real loss in your own identity and a sudden yes. loss because most people, cancer is just a, a sudden onset and you weren't prepared for any of this. And then you're in this, psychological, this, this process of treatment and focus and doing. And I can imagine as the treatment stops, you're really bringing such insight into this. Then all those effects really start, we're no longer fighting for something. We're not dealing with the effects of the Uh, the long-term
0: life-changing effects. Yes. Yes, and it can feel like a life sentence for people. I imagine. You know, there are six principles that I have developed in my work with cancer survivors that I'm looking at as guideposts for emotional recovery. And they are, to begin with, just being with what is, coming into reality and acceptance of how it is in your body right now, what it's like in the relationships, what has been the impact of the cancer experience, and making a lot of space for that, for being able to talk about it, share, get feedback from others, hear from others how they see you now. Mm -hmm. So that's where I try to start with people, is just making a safe space for them to show up as they are and talk about what is now for them.
1: What is now in terms of what they are experiencing physically, emotionally, mentally, and kind of also what they're needing. Yes. Everything that's just in this moment, what's going on, not future, not past, but in this moment.
0: Right. That makes sense, yeah. And then moving on to the idea from neuroscience of that you have to feel it to heal it. You have to allow yourself to be aware of the different thoughts and feelings you have about having gone through this traumatic experience. And so that includes the anger, the fear, the grief, mm-hmm. the loss around your body, and also the gratitude and the, the awakenings. People have amazing awakenings that don't always get to be discussed. And we need space for that as well, for the sacred part of the experience of facing your own mortality. And I can imagine that that space would
1: almost be hard to find in those that haven't experienced that kind of an awakening that that I imagine all of a sudden it's impacting me about how even ongoing relationships might be shifted. When you've gone through something like that and somebody, your husband or somebody yes. else has not, you've had a way of looking at the world as very different. Yeah, and wanting to relate that and be related to from that place. Yes,
0: I I think so because caregivers they're going through their own very difficult, often traumatic experience, but it is different. And you know, in my case with my husband, he doesn't always like to be reminded of it. Mm-hmm. He he wants to move on, and he also often is not paying enough attention to his own thoughts and feelings. So, you know, caregivers and men especially need their own groups. But yes, I like to make space for survivors to talk with one another and share the dreams that they had as they were going through treatment, the signals they have from their intuition about what's right for them, what's next in their journey. And that's just a really inspiring and vibrant place to be.
1: Yeah. And it really reminds you as a, as somebody who's it could be a family member or caretaker To really help yourself find that space with that person. So to help that person find a therapist like you that can walk them through these processes and then to help the caretakers remember that these journeys are really, really important to take with them or to try to give them room for that.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And it was a very helpful process for me to have couples counseling with my husband, really just focused on the trauma of the cancer Mm -hmm. and be able to talk about how it impacted each of us and what it was like to have the new baby and for him to hear me, but for me to hear from him how overwhelming it was as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the other pieces to my six principles for emotional recovery are learning to find the medicine and the healing, even when there is discomfort. So not thinking that just because there's discomfort means that all is lost, but really learning to make space for the discomfort, getting the help that you need, asking for help and letting it transform you. Sometimes the medicine is learning how to surrender mm-hmm. and not trying to be in control of everything because cancer teaches you that you're not. But being okay with that, learning to surrender a lot of expectations of yourself and others, learning to ask for help.
1: And I think of that, you mentioned attachment perspective, and um, I could imagine for some individuals, that's a real challenge that they get to a place where they really can't have all the control and they really realize it and they have to ask and they have to reach out. Oh yes. And for those individuals that might be a little bit more avoidantly attached or, or so used to being self-sufficient or seeing asking for help is a sign of weakness. Yes. That journey could be really, really difficult. But oh yes. It's you're just, very painful. There, but so essential. Like mm-hmm. the asking for help is actually a sign of health. And that's right. what you're talking about. Right. It's part of the, the healing and health, it's not part of weakness.
0: Yes, we even have an exercise that we do in yoga. It's on my website where you alternate reaching an arm out, grabbing a fistful of prana, life force energy is what I say, and pulling it into your body and then inhaling, extending your other arm out, grab a fistful of prana and bringing it into your body. Mm. And I like to tell people that that is embodying, reaching out, asking for help, accepting what the universe has to offer you and bringing it in and trying to be really fearless about that. That's a wonderful image. And then the fourth principle is that there are gifts even in our physical limitations. And for example, for me, anytime I start to feel my arm is swelling or noticing a lot of discomfort in my body, I'm not able to push past my limitations the way I really prefer to do by nature and which I always did before. I just can't do it anymore. Either fatigue gets me or body discomfort keeps me from being able to overschedule, to not make time for my own health and wellness. And so in the same way, I like to help people try to figure out what are the gifts? How is it that you can take this limitation and find ways to work with it that benefit you Mm -hmm. and maybe even Mm -hmm. enhance your life in some way?
1: Well, you just named one of the benefits we just from before the benefit of Of uh, Was that step four before of of knowing that you needed to ask for help? I know that's a different kind of limitation. You were talking about a physical limitation, but let's say the physical limitation is your arm. Mm -hmm. And so you needed then some extra support related to that and the idea of learning to be able to connect and ask for help. Right. You know, we talk exponentially on this podcast about how much that is actually a gift and a benefit. It's a loss because you lose some independence, But you can, in fact, gain connection and gain an ability to open up and rely on somebody.
0: Yes, and have a deeper connection. People love to be asked for help. Absolutely, It's a gift to them. Right. And yet so so many of us feel like, oh, it's going to be a burden and it's so embarrassing and shameful to Mm. need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And then the fifth principle is about really cultivating your own energy, your prana, your life force energy energy. And ways. what I've noticed with survivors is that people can get very focused on needing to have a very austere diet, like no sugar ever, and being very hard on themselves because they're so afraid of a recurrence. And so they're trying to do everything that they can to prevent that. And what I found for myself and with clients that can be helpful is to take a more moderate approach and to think about your lifestyle, in terms of what brings me energy, healthy energy each day, what can I do? What kind of movement can I do? What kind mm-hmm. of meditation? What can I eat? What can I avoid watching, like cable news? <laughs> you know, there are times I'll go on a Facebook fast where I'm not looking at my news feed because I can't, I don't want to get stimulated by everybody else's thoughts and feelings because that dampens my energy. So anyway, helping people to explore what kind of energy do you want to be feeling every day and what are the habits that you can begin or emphasize to help you feel good?
1: That's a great way to put it because oftentimes it is really a habit that we have to change to leave us open to that energy rather than just responding to the world on an everyday basis of the stress that's there and but to really slow down, and especially as a cancer survivor, to know that you have to have your own energy and to keep your cortisol low and to be able to be open to yourself and the world, you really have to protect that Right, and to ha- develop habits like we were speaking about in our last podcast and about a meditative and a yoga practice that actually increases your ability to engage in the world.
0: And my last principle I call Joy Boots. And the name came from a very deep experience I had as I was recovering from treatment, where I remembered being in my body as a five-year-old and having been given some brand new white go-go boots that were knee high and just feeling a lot of joy about the boots and dancing around in my backyard. And I think I was singing that uh hymn. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And I really had a visceral memory of what that felt like to be young, to be vital, and to be joyful. And I've been able to hold on to that memory that came about through a movement practice and use it as a somatic marker, which is like a touchstone, like a body memory. And these days I ask myself, if something is presented to me, an opportunity or a request, I'll ask myself, can I do this with my joy boots on? Mm. Can I let that little five-year-old that had all that vitality and joy, is she going to feel good Mm -hmm. if I say yes to this? And if the answer is no, then I try really hard not to do it. And it really helps to inform how I am moving forward in life. Oh, I love that. I can imagine using that in all sorts of
1: areas. That's a, it's a really wonderful image to have and a way to check in with yourself instead of being so immediately reactive to the world and responding in all sorts of, you know, obligatory ways. To kind right. of go, wait, what does this really do for me inside? Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. And so that's one of my objectives in working with people is helping them discover what is that for you? Mm-hmm. What is your body memory? That's going to tell you that this is the way to go. This is going to bring me more vitality and a sense of openness and connection with the infinite and with my community and with myself.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: lovely. And so I'm putting this together in an online course. So <laughs> that, say up something about, yeah. Yeah. I'm working on it right now and it's going to be a course and hopefully a book that will come out in 2018. So say a little bit more about the
1: course. It's going to be walking through each one of those steps.
0: It is. It's going to be each week taking um, one of the steps, starting with being with what is Mm -hmm. and really exploring both through journaling and through meditation practice and checking in in a Facebook community with others who are doing the course as well. So sharing your experiences, what it is looks like for you and hearing from others. And yeah, so we're going to integrate the yoga, the meditation, and just a self-exploration so that people can feel more integrated as they recover emotionally. Oh, that's wonderful. And
1: you mentioned, I just love the comprehensive part of it and walking people through the steps. I just cannot imagine how how helpful somebody out there feeling alone in this, how inspiring they could feel to have access to something like that.
0: Yes, I hope so. Uh, And Mm. I'm doing it because it's it's just not out there. There's not Mm. enough emphasis. And in part because the technology has advanced so much Mm -hmm. that people are surviving who maybe 10, 15 years ago were not. And so the mental health field and the emotional recovery from Mm -hmm. cancer field has not quite caught up to really providing services and and safe places for people. Well, that sounds like a very
1: powerful course. And and as you talk about the yoga being part of that again I want to refer listeners back to the original podcast because we talked quite a bit about how yoga directly impacts even the uh, inflammation system within individuals that is very relevant to cancer survivors and to integrate the yoga, how it can be a a very physically impactful in your physical recovery.
0: Yes. In your physical recovery and in your emotional recovery, it has to go together.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. This has been lovely and so informative, and I think uh, there's so many out there in the community that are going to be so grateful that you took the time to come on today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.